Good morning, Pierce Point Community Church. How are we doing this morning? I am a little sad because normally I would be preaching on a potluck Sunday and we'd get to go have food afterwards, but it just didn't work out that way. For those who don't know who I am, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Jacob Dolezal. I run the, I, I read that song during my mic check, so that's a reference back for those who were here. Um, my name is Jacob Dolezal. I run the Kids Point Ministry, and I am one of your newest deacon, or elders, elders now. And I just wanted to take a second and say I've come here for a long time, 10 plus years. I have grown here. And spiritually and in maturity, I think. And this is my home. You guys are my family. And I just wanted to thank you for this opportunity to serve you. It is my honor. So thank you very much. Anyway, last week, myself and Dwayne Adams over there, we were introduced. And I had to go back and teach the elementary class. And if you think coming up here is nerve-wracking, there is no cr tougher crowd than a group of impatient 7 to 11-year-olds. Thankfully, Mr. Ben Bird was uh, keeping them occupied while I was in here. But when I got back there, they started to give me the what for. Where were you? Who were you with? What took you so long? I hadn't been questioned so much since the time I got pulled over going to a Bible study by a buff Asian cop. <laughs> but that's a story for another time. I explained that I was an elder now. And as I was continuing to explain, I was cut off. All right, guys, that means he's old. <laughs> so now I am old. Mark, now I know how it feels every time I make elderly <laughs> jokes. You know, back in the elementary classroom, we've had this recent move-up of a lot of kids from preschool up to elementary, and that has its own challenges. You know, preschool, they get to play, they get to run around. In elementary, we're mainly sitting and talking. So I had to come up with a way to bridge the gap so that everybody made it through alive, because that's the goal back there, is to make it through class alive. Is now the time I should ask for volunteers, or was that before? <laughs> Darn. Anyway, so we started to, one of the kids, he got up, and he started to do the worm, which is really just him laying on the floor, flopping his arms and legs up and down. And so I thought, well, how about we do a silent dance minute? One minute of a timer on my phone where no one talks, and anyone who wants to can get up and bust a move. And it was a hit. Everybody loved it. The older kids got to sit back and enjoy and, you know, take that minute to collect themselves. The younger kids got up. They got all that energy out. So I thought, what better way to start our service than with not a minute, not a minute, 30 seconds of silent dance time. Now, you don't have to participate. There's no participation necessary. But I thought... If I'm going to do this, I need a stud to come up here with me 
and dance. And it's not Nathan. It's not Nathan. So, Mr. Bo Huffine, please come up here. Give me some, Bo. Give me some. Now, I'm sorry, before we begin, I have a disclaimer that I have to read. The Huffine family is not responsible for any moves that Bo will do on the stage, nor did he learn them at the Huffine household. So I just said we had to make that clear beforehand. So, uh, Paula, if you want to throw that. Oh, 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 okay, we can go back, we can go back. I didn't realize it started immediately. Sorry, guys, that, you don't get to just go to 25. It has to be the full 30. All right, Bo. When this timer starts, we get to dance. All right? All right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, no, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, we're not done yet. We didn't even get to start yet. All right. I'll tell you when to go. All right? Ready, Bo? Ready? Hit it. Dance, Bo. Dance. Hit the gritty. Oh, oh. Thanks, Bo. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Whew, Bo carried that. Now, how many of you felt anxiety during that 30 seconds or right before? I, I know that I did myself. All week I kept thinking, how many people are actually going to dance? And really it just became, let's watch Bo dance. Today... We're going to talk about anxiety. It is something that I know quite well. I was feeling probably about 10 minutes earlier and all day yesterday. Something that I've grown up with. One of my parents would ask me as a little kid, are you excited to do this new thing? I'd be like, I'm nervous excited. Half and half. I couldn't decide which one I was really feeling. So to start, what exactly is anxiety? It's a term that we hear more and more today in today's world. The world itself has seen a usage skyrocket in the past 70 years. So how about we look at a definition? Dictionary.com defines anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent or something that is uncertain outcome. That's a start, but I personally don't feel like this does the definition the best. So next, we're going to look at some people who study this kind of stuff for a living and see how they define it. Next one. The American Associ Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. Now, when someone starts to feel extreme levels of this, they starts to affect their daily lives, whether it be having trouble sleeping, 
or trouble concentrating or even panic attacks. In 2019, I'm getting the sign. In 2019, the Medical News Today did a study to see how many people struggled with higher levels of anxiety or had an anxiety disorder. And they, through their, their sample group, they estimated about 40 million Americans struggled with anxiety. That's about 8% of the population at the time. Now, take that as you will. I mean, we know how people can adjust numbers of statistics to make it say what they want. But personally, I feel like that number is quite a bit higher. Remember, this is 2019. That's before COVID. That's before the world continued to escalate downward. So it's probably much higher now. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, Jacob, I see we're doing a lot of talking. We're doing a lot of dancing. We're doing a lot of definitions. But I didn't come here for this psychoanalytical mumbo-jumbo. I get it. But we had to set some of these numbers, and I wanted to put them up there, to show you why we are spending a Sunday talking about this. So this leads to the natural question, what does the Bible say about anxiety? Well, based on your translation of the Bible, that will depend on how many times that word is actually used. For example, the King James doesn't use that word at all, but we see its cousins in the synonyms. See, cousins, synonyms, get it? You know, literary joke. Nobody laughed. That's oh, all right. Synonyms like worry, fear, cares, distress. Anxiety in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Hey, Paula, will you throw the American psycho definition back up there for a sec? So it defines anxiety as an emotion, something like excitement, joy, sadness, anger. There's a natural element to some anxiety. It's when the levels start to get escalated that we start to have these issues. For example, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking to the church about, in Corinth about marriage and singleness. And he says that a single person can be anxious about the things of God and focus solely on living a godly life. While by nature of it, a married person will have their anxieties divided between the health and wellness of their spouse and living their life for God. This is an example of this natural anxiety that we feel. We're supposed, the Bible scripture is clear. We're supposed to take care of our households, our families. So it should, that it's somewhat normal. For example, we're going to look at Luke 2, 4 48, and we see how Mary and Joseph respond to losing young Jesus in the crowd. It said, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you been treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Obviously, they were running around because they lost the Savior. Um, <laughs> That's a little bit bigger than just losing a child at a supermarket. <laughs> but that anxiety is a natural thing. You want to make sure that your child is okay, well, and fair. Now contrast this. We're going to look at this Proverbs verse speaking the bad side of anxiety. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. This shows us how anxiety can have negative effects on us, on our life. It can weigh us down to the point where you're too scared or too worried to take a step forward 
or make some kind of positive, life-changing move. The second half of the verse gives us a little insight as to how to combat this, but we'll be talking about that more later today. Anxiety is very real, and it's a natural emotion. Just like anger, it can be corrupted by our sinful nature. It can amplify the unbelief that we have in our hearts and our minds. It's something that everyone has experienced in their life to some degree. And now we're going to look at some Bible characters and that experienced anxiety and see how they chose to deal with it. The first example that we're going to look at is King David. Yes, the very same David that is described as a man after God's own heart. He was a grand warrior and leader for many years. Yet, you know, to my generation, we would all describe David as emo or, you know, emotional. David would be the guy with the swoopy hair being like, tonight will be the night that I will fall for you. That's just who David is. But in his life, even though he was a king, he experienced quite a bit of anxiety from the pursuit of Saul to the fact his own son decided to rise up against him in a rebellion. How did David deal with this emotion or anxiety? He got some guys together and made a metalcore band. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he wrote some amazing psalms. For example, we're going to look at Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. At this point in the psalm, you'd think, this guy is not handling this very well. But thankfully, that's not the end of the psalm. It continues. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David never gave up in his faith in his God, our God. This is how, we, this is how he chose to handle and deal with these emotions. He knew that even though he was overwhelmed that God would take care of him. We see this over so many of David's different psalms. Too many to use as an example. We'd be here all day, or just as long as a normal Nathan sermon. <laughs> the next individual that I want to take a look at with this regard and to anxiety is Job. As you might remember, Job loses almost everything. All his material possessions, his children, everything except his wife. And as if that wasn't enough, he then becomes covered in sores. And a reminder, this is all a test of faith allowed by God. Glad it was Job. We see Job's mindset in Job 3, 1, and then in verses 25 through 26. Job says, or it says, afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Yep. For what I, Job says, for what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. 
I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. Can you imagine how you'd feel in that circumstance? Job was so clearly filled with angst, anguish, and anxiety. He'd lost everything, and yet, as you read through his story, he never turns his back on his faith. He doesn't curse God. He ends up passing this test of faith. So the last example that I want to use is Jonah. Now remember, I didn't say that these were all going to be good examples of how people handled their anxiety. Jonah 1, 1 through 3 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come upon before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarnish, Tarshish, Tarnish, this is an Elden Ring, from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah represents what a lot of people do when they face extreme levels of anxiety and don't know how to handle it. They run. And they run just to see if they can get away from the situation. I love the idea of Jonah being this guy who understands God fairly well. We see later in his scripture with his interaction, thinking that, you know what? If I just get on a boat, I can get away from the presence of the creator God that's calling me to do this. That's just not how we handle it. Now that we've looked at how these ancient characters are, had their dealings with anxiety, it begs the question for us. How do we deal with the anxieties of life that we face? But before we talk about that, I got one other thing that I want to talk about. There is a misnomer that I'd like to talk about for a second. So often, as Christians begin to address their struggles, uh, they talk about it specifically in the mental area, we hear a lot when they begin to share, you, don't ju you just don't trust God, period, end of story. But I'd like to challenge that it isn't quite so simple as that. I want to look at a piece of a story from Mark 9. For context, this is where the this is a father whose son is been possessed and the disciples had tried to cast out the demon and they couldn't do it so they brought their son before Jesus Mark 9 21 through 24 and he Jesus asked the father how long has this been happening to him and he said from childhood it often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him but if you can do anything take pity on us and help us and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus goes on to cast out the demon of the son and saves him. But I want to go back and focus on what the father said. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Trust and belief are not these simple black and white answers. In my head, faith, trust, they look like a chart, something like, Paula, will you throw that up? So, chart, something like this. 
The graph overall is trust. And then you have different areas of your life, family, finance, future, children, kids. I couldn't think of a sixth one. <laughs> and in these things, you trust God at a different level. So yes, I trust God overall at a 9.8 of some of everything. But you know where I struggle? I struggle in this area. I struggle with how is God going to use my future? What is God going to do for my family? How is God going to provide for finances? You still trust God. It just, there are different areas where we need to work on that trust. You can thank Madden for this, because that's where, that's where I got that. <laughs> this doesn't mean if you're not at a 10 across all the boards that you don't trust him. It just means that you're still growing. There's a work in progress in all of us. We're all doing this. So it's, it's behoo of us to identify those areas for each of us. Anyway, we're, now we're going flipping back to how do we handle anxiety. Some of the examples earlier from David for that, and that proverb earlier at the beginning of the message, but it all really comes back to one big point. But even before we get to that first step, you have to be willing to talk about what you are feeling anxious about. It's hard to ask, but we have to if we want to help, if you want help. You can't let your pride get in the way of asking for help. It's a big first step to be willing to talk about it. So that big way, that big answer, how do you deal with your anxiety? You give it to God. Let's look at 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself and cast your anxieties on him. And why are we doing that? Because he cares for us. I'm not saying that this is an easy process, guys. I know from my own personal struggles that this is not something easy. I was talking about this topic with uh, Adam and Brittany Black and then Marcus. Hey, Marcus, he's watching online. Uh, Wednesday night, Marcus brought up this really good point that, you know, people will talk about casting their care. Oh, I've given this to God. What they'll do is they'll give it to God, and then when they go to leave, they're like, but this piece I'm just not done with yet. We need to let it go. Um, so first off, we've got to humble ourselves, cast our cares to the Lord. Now let's look at Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if it is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Again, we see this call to pray and to give God our fears, our worries, our anxieties. If you can't tell, this is a really big point that I want to get across. 
But what I really like about this verse is it gives you a little practical piece if you're looking for it. We should take our cares and prayers to the Lord. And if we're going to dwell on something, let's dwell on some, making something that is pure, true, holy, worthy of praise. Can any of you think of something that might match that description? Ah, yes, the word of God. A key thing in giving it away, casting your cares, is you need something to replace it with. Think about the whole Indiana Jones and the treasure thing. You know, he's taking the treasure, he's replacing it with the sand so that the trap does not go off. If you're going to cast your cares to the Lord, you better be ready to have something to replace it with. Otherwise, you're just going to take it right back. Defeat the whole purpose. But why go to God with these things? He's got bigger things to deal with, right? No. To think that God wouldn't want to hear from you of your worries or your thoughts defeats the whole point of the relationship to him. Has he not proven to us time and time again? Psalm 139, verses 11 through 12 say, If I... if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. The Lord is a safe place we can go with our cares, with our anxieties. Isaiah 41.10, the Lord says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He is the ultimate hope that we have in our lives, guys. Like I said, I know this is a hard thing to do, giving up anxieties, fears that haunt you. But I got something else that I would like you to consider. Uh, it's, the thi- it's using the thing that Christ calls us to be. As Dominic Toretto would say, family. The, wor- the church is supposed to be a place where we share our burdens with. A place that can lift you up when you're feeling weak. But if we don't know what's going on, how are we supposed to help you? Your friends, your family, the people in this room, they want to help lift you up. So you got to be willing to talk. How can iron sharpen iron if it's not actually willing to grind up against one another? It's uncomfortable. It's, it's hard being vulnerable. But that's what you got to do to grow. One of the worst things that you can do is sit back and not talk about it. Just say, you know what? This is, I know this is my problem. It's irrational, this fear, this thing that I have. But if you don't talk about it, it's just going to grow. It's just going to fester. It's just going to continue to hold you in place. All that being said, now I have a story for you. And you can just sit back, relax, and listen. (laughs) The story is called The Dog and the Dragon. Now I should warn you at the start, this is a story without a moral at the end. So just remember that. One day, the dog was sitting and saw a dragon flying overhead. The dog marveled, as one might expect. He had never seen something so majestic. 
The dragon soared in the sky, shimmering with iridescent colors in the sunlight. When it passed above the dog, it called out a mighty challenge, demanding that the demanding in human speak that all acknowledge its beauty. The dog watched this from atop a hill. Now, he wasn't a particularly large for a dog. He was white with brown spots and floppy ears, not of a specific breed, and small enough that other dogs often mocked him. He was of a common variety of a common species of a common animal that most people would rightfully ignore. But when this dog stared at the dragon and heard its mighty boast, he came to a realization. Today he encountered something he had always wished for but never known. Today he had seen perfection, and it presented with a goal. From today, nothing else mattered. He was going to become a dragon. The dog sat atop the hill throughout the night and the next day, staring, thinking, dreaming. Finally, when he returned to the farm where he lived with all the other farm dogs, where he was the smallest, he had devised a way to divide becoming a dragon into three different pieces. The first one, find a way to have colorful scales like a dragon. Second, learn to speak the human tongue like the dragon. And three, the easiest, he had to learn to fly. <laughs> the dog chose to start with the scales as it seemed it was the easiest. And he wanted to begin this transformation with an early victory, like how big college football programs schedule Division II people for the first couple weeks. <laughs> he knew that the farmer owned many seeds in a variety of colors. And they were shaped like little scales. But he was an honest dog. He was not a thief. He didn't take these. No, he asked, where did the, where did the seeds come from? And it turned out the farmer could make seeds by planting and growing crops. Knowing this, the dog borrowed some seeds and followed the farmer's oldest son to do his daily work. As the young man was working, planting, the dog moved alongside him, digging holes, planting seeds. The young boy was, he, at first he was amused. What's this dog doing? Digging a hole, planting a seed. But then he began to become amazed. Every day, the dog would take a watering can out and water the seeds that he had planted. And through lots of hard work and learning and copying what the farmer was doing, he eventually was, a, was rewarded with a small crop full of colorful seeds. After replacing what he had get taken from the farmer, the dog got wet, rolled around in his seeds, and they stuck all over his body. Then he went and ran to his other dog friends. Guys, what do you think of my new scales? Don't I look like a dragon? They turned and they laughed at him. Those aren't scales. You look stupid and silly. Go back to being a dog. The dog slunk away, feeling foolish and hurt. He had failed at his first task, to have scales like a dragon. The dog, however, was not daunted. Surely, if he could just speak in the grand voice of a dragon, they would see and so the dog spent his free time watching the children of the farmer. There were three, the oldest son who was working in the field, a middle daughter, and a youngest baby who was not big enough to help out. 
Anyway, the dog figured the best way to learn how to speak was to hang out with the baby. So he played with the baby, stayed with him, listened to how, as he was learning words. But he couldn't do, he couldn't form the words like the people did. As hard as he could try, he couldn't do it. His mouth wouldn't work that way. But then he noticed that the middle daughter would write words of humans on paper. And this overjoyed the dog. He could learn this. It was a way to speak without having to have a normal tongue. So the dog every day joined her at the table, sitting beside her, inspecting the words as she was writing them. And many times he failed, but eventually he could scratch letters in the dirt. The farmer and his family were amazed by this. This dog was phenomenal. This dog had surely proven a way that he could that he was becoming a dragon. So he went back to the other dogs. He showed them this amazing writing ability. He wrote their names in the dirt. But they couldn't read. The dog, he explained what he was doing, what he was writing, and they laughed. This is not the loud, majestic voice of a dragon, the dog said. This is speaking so quietly that nobody can hear it. You look so silly and stupid. Just go back to being a dog. They left the dog to stare at his writing, and it began to rain. He had failed to speak with the proud, powerful voice of the dragon. But there was still hope. The easiest task, if the dog could just fly. If he could achieve this, there was no way they could not acknowledge him as a dragon. But this task seemed even harder than the other two. However, the dog had seen this curious device in the barn. The farmer would tie bales of hay with a rope and then raise and lower them with a pulley in the rafters. This was essentially flying, wasn't it? The bales of hay soared in the air. And so the dog practiced pulling on the rope himself. And he learned how the mechanics of the device he learned that the pulley could be balanced with weight on the other side. So he took the pulley, uh, took a sack that was just a little bit lighter than he was, tied it to the other side, and tied the rope to his harness. He climbed up to the top of the barn's loft, and he called all the other dogs in. And then he leaped. It worked. The dog lowered down slowly, striking a magnificent pose in the air. He was flying. He soared like a dragon had. He felt the air around him and knew the sensation of being up in the air with everything below. And when he landed, he felt so proud, so free. And then the other dogs laughed, the loudest they had laughed the entire time. That's not falling like a dragon. You just fell slowly. You looked so stupid. So silly. Just go back to being a dog. At this, crushed the dog's hopes. He realized the truth. A dog like him simply could not become a dragon. He was too small, too quiet, too silly. Splash. What was that? The dog looked up, panicked, confused. He heard noises. Sudden shouting, yells of panic. The dog raced out of the barn to find the farmer and his family huddled around the farmyard well, 
which was barely wide enough for a basket. The dog put his paws on the edge of the well and looked down. Far below, in the deep darkness of the hole, he heard splashing and crying. A pitiful, gurgling cry was barely audible over the splashing. The smallest child of the farmer had fallen into the well and was drowning. The family screamed and wept. There was nothing to be done, or was there? In a flash, the dog knew what to do. He bit the bucket off of the rope and tied it to his harness. He then wrote on the dirt, lower me. And he hopped up to the rim of the well. He threw himself into the well as the farmer grabbed the crank. Lowered down, to his do lowered down, the dog flew into the darkness. He found the baby all the way under the water. He shoved his snout in and took hold of the baby's clothing. A short time later, when the family pulled him back up, the dog appeared holding the smallest child, wet, crying, but very much alive. That night, the family set a place for the little dog at their table, gave him a sweater to keep him warm. His name was written above, across the front with letters he could read. They served a feast with the food that the dog had helped grow. They gave him some cake, celebrating the birthday of the child whose life he saved. That night, it rained, and all the other dogs had to sleep outside in the cold barn. But the little dog snuggled into the warm bed beside the fire, along with the farmer's children hugged, being hugged, his belly full. And as he did, the dog sat to himself, thought to himself, I could not become a dragon. I am an utter and complete failure. The end. What? <laughs> Mark, you can go get the kids. I'm almost finished. I told you at the beginning there was no moral to the story. You're right. I agree. The dog is a hero. What the dog did was quite amazing. But so often in our lives, we are the dog. We think about this one task that we want to achieve so badly. We're so focused on it that we lose track of all the other good that's going on in our lives. For me, I'll use myself as an example. I expected by now, I'm 31, right? Yeah, I think. I expected by now that to be married, have a family, and I don't have that. I don't have any, there's no, nothing in front of me. So by that logic, my own anxiety tells me, you are a complete and utter failure. Sometimes I believe that. But then I got friends like Nathan who comes along and go, you are so dumb. You are doing so much other stuff. Stop just focusing on the one thing. But this is what anxiety does. It pushes us to focus in on this one thing that we just, we're, we're struggling with. That's why we got to come together as a group, as a body. You need other people to help boost you. That Proverbs verse at the beginning, the coal, uh, let's go back, let me go back to it so I can find it. Anxiety weighs a man down. The dog was weighed down because of his anxiety but a good word makes it glad. You need encouragement. You need other people to come and lift you up. So now let me tell you the real ending to the story. Come on, that, really, that wasn't the ending. 
That night, the little dog snuggled into the warm bed beside the fire, hugged by the farmer's children, his belly full, and he thought to himself, I doubt any dragon ever had it so good. As we struggle through life and anxiety, what we're going to find, especially on this journey, as we walk towards Christ, that we have to come to understand ourselves better so that we can do a better job of moving forward. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart reflects the man. Earlier I talked about our faith and trust and the skill graph. I'd ask that you take some time this, over this next couple weeks into this holiday and reflect on where the anxieties that you feel are where your faith is the weakest, and be honest with yourself so that we can proceed to go forward and continue and pursue Christ. One last verse, and then I'll pray for you. Psalm 27, 13 through 14. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, Wait for the Lord. This feels like something that is extracted straight out of my brain through my own struggles. I would not be up here. I would not be here if I did not believe in the goodness of the Lord. This world is just too dark. There's too many things that are keeping you down. So please, wait for the Lord. Be strong. May your heart take courage in him. Now let me pray for you. Dear God, I, I thank you for this body. I thank you for who you are, that you are the place that we can go to cast our anxieties. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us strength to confront that, to go after you, and to allow ourselves to heal from this. Lord, you are a loving God, and you have proven that time and time again to us. We thank you for who you are. In your son's name I pray. Amen.